folks. XQ quality, better than HQ, but no one knows what the X stands for, except for extremely good. <clears throat> Here we go. Episode 206 of Channel oh, Massive. <laughs> yes. Did you like that, Mark? Yes, I was. it got me going. I was, you know, until you did that, I was kind of in a mellow mood, but now I'm ready to go. <laughs> it's it's half, half of my uh, UFC announcer imitation. I can <laughs> go 100%. ready to rumble! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But I decided this week to just crank it down a little bit since there's only two of us. and Yeah. We don't need full hype to get us worked up for this exciting episode. Yes. It's a dynamic duo episode, which are usually very close to my heart as, as I look back on our some of our better episodes where we <laughs> aren't cluttered by co-hosts like Eric and others. So. Yeah. <laughs> It'd probably be a nice little come down to have only a couple people's voices to decipher or figure out um, in this yes. episode. I, I imagine the last week's episode might have been a little bit difficult to follow. Might have been overwhelming for some. If you're, uh, you know, if you've been diagnosed with, uh, you know, attention deficit disorder, it was probably perfect. But, uh, you know, <laughs> Otherwise, could have been a little much. Yeah, yeah. So for this episode, we've got a nice little bit of content. We've got some stories for Intergeddon. We've got a chunk of feedback, some that we had to delay from last week, and then some new stuff. And then we're going to have a round. We're gonna, well, we're going to tell you what we've been playing and do some general geekery discussion and wrap up the show with a roundtable discussion on Sony's big acquisition of Gaikai. And what we think it could mean for Sony and gaming in general, what analyst reaction has been. We could have put it in Intergeddon, but we felt that it was hardy enough of a topic for us to talk about as roundtable. And less controversial than others. Mm-hmm. There was something else we could have put in here, but we decided that we'd stick to something that we were capable <laughs> and not intimidated <laughs> by. Yeah. yeah, baby steps, baby steps. Yeah. Someday, when we get to episode 500, maybe we'll be ready to tackle something about, you know, something that has the word Big misogyny push. without me snickering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for Intergeddon, we have a humble amount of news stories. I didn't divide it into sections this time. A First humble up, bundle, if you will. Sorry. Yes, a, a bundle of news. You know, oh, speaking of... Yeah. Um, have you listened to any of, this, any of the soundtracks that came from the last Tumble Bundle? No, are they great? Yeah, they they really are, particularly the Psychonauts soundtrack and mm, the Bastion soundtrack. They're so good. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. They're both very rich, very complex, and just fun to listen to, particularly Bastions. It's got a really nice Western-slash-music right. vibe to it that's just oh, that's terrific. Cool. But that aside, that was you know included with Last Tumble Bundle. Hope that you got it. If anything, just for the soundtracks, they were great. But 
First up, Wii U is the first new console to be launching of the next generation. It is launching later this year, probably around Thanksgiving. And there's been a lot of speculation and concern about the system's horsepower, uh, with many people making the assumption that it's only a little bit more powerful than our current Xbox 360s and PS3s, and therefore the successors to Xbox 360 and PS3 will be light years beyond Wii U. But something to keep in mind is the Wii U will allow you to stream your game directly to the little tablet controller. And sometimes when it's splitting stuff in between your television screen and your tablet controller, that takes a lot of horsepower to do two screens at once. So that's probably why if Nintendo is going to be releasing it at a reasonable quote-unquote price, that the horsepower isn't quite that impressive. Yeah. Microsoft has put a finer bead on it, though. Of course, they have a motivation to to do so. But the Microsoft, I think it's Microsoft Game Studios boss, Phil Spencer, said that Wii U is, quote-unquote, effectively an Xbox 360. How dare he, I say. <laughs> quite a patronizing or, or condescending yeah. description, saying, hey, well, yeah, it's basically a 360, and the controller has all of the buttons that a 360 controller does. And he basically said that we use just a Trojan horse to deliver ports of old Xbox 360 games yeah. <laughs> with buttons rearranged on the tablet controller to make it seem like it's not so much that. So that that's pretty pretty damning, really, if you consider that. So it's it's the first of the next generation consoles to launch, and Microsoft says, well, actually, it's just catching up with the current generation, and our next generation is about to come out next year and destroy you. So, uh, yeah, that's... That's pretty harsh criticism. Um, we will see if it's true or not. What are your thoughts? I mean, you're a big Nintendo aficionado, if you will. Um, yeah, I, I've i kind of felt that that was probably the situation with this hardware, and I definitely think it shouldn't launch for more than $250 because of that. Yeah, I have a hard time getting excited about the system and even investing that much money into it because I'm just not sure what type of, type of longevity it will have for hardcore gamers after yeah. the new Xbox and PS PlayStation systems come out. Well, you know, I, I was thinking about this article and I and I came back to you know, there's it's partially the hardware, but it's partially what you do with the hardware, which is the software, which is, you know, very important. And when I think about my Wii and the the game Boom Blocks and the fact that I've never found anything for Connect or for um, oh, what's the uh, Sony one called? Uh, Move or whatever. Move? Yeah, the PlayStation. Yeah, that that's just as seamless as the control for say a Wii with boom blocks. Like just mm-hmm. such an addictive kind of feel to it. Um, you know, I, I think there's something more important than just you know how many frames per second you can display at what resolution with you know what physics model going. It's it's really you know. <laughs> It's not how big your processor is, it's how you <laughs> use it. Um, so, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a different, you know, it's a totally different philosophical um, angle, I guess, between the two. So we'll see. You know, the UI that Nintendo has, certainly their portable systems, I believe, totally destroy anything that Sony's come out with. And uh, Oh yeah, that's so true. They really are way better than the portable Xbox. Oh, wait. Um, so, you know, <laughs> uh, there is none. But, you know, they're, they're quite 
quite quite good. So uh, I don't know. That's my take on it. Alrighty then. Alrighty. <laughs> rant rant complete. Achievement <laughs> unlocked. Do you have any kind of rant about Diablo 3's endgame content? Because apparently Blizzard felt like it had to go on the record and say, all right, all right, so we don't have any really terrific, addictive endgame content in Diablo 3. We weren't really ready to deliver that. But hey, we've got some patch updates coming up that should take care of that. I don't know. You know, I really, really tried to... I guess I'm just not in a Diablo mood right now. I really, really tried to revive that love I had of the old Diablo 2 and apply it to Diablo 3 and spend, you know, countless hours just playing it. But I just don't have the discretionary time that I had back in the old days, and and there's a lot of stuff out competing with it that's, you know, unplayed games that I've purchased and other activities and... I could really care less, honest to God, um, what they do with it. You know, I, I I think when they do eventually come out with some kind of an expansion that, you know, adds on to the end game, um, you know, much like in Diablo 2 when Lord of Destruction came out or whatever and it had, you know, kind of like an Episode 5 add-on, um, that was really cool and I bought it and I played it and it also came with two new classes, which were kind of fun. As far as Diablo 3 goes, I probably will not clock any time on it until that happens. Uh, It's just the replayability for me is just not compelling enough compared with what I have just been putting on the back burner for years and years. Um, So, you know, yeah, you're right. You're right, Blizzard. Unless you come up with episodic content with a really fast release cycle that's compelling and isn't, you know... (laughs) Horrible in comparison to what's already there, sans, oh, I don't know, no voice acting or, you know, like a text-only representation of the dialogue. Uh, you know, if you come up with something like that, then maybe the, the player base will be, you know, into it. And I think a lot of people are just in love with Diablo 3 right now anyway. So, you know, they're probably hurt, not hurting too much for those who um, are, are putting all the time in now anyway. But I don't know that it'll make a big difference. I think what they really want are a lot of the things that have been, um, you know, imbalances in the game and, and problems with the uh, the real money auction totally fixed, which I know they're working on patches for that, and they've released, you know, a couple or three. Um, but, yeah, it, it's not very compelling to me, and I think you're, you're probably not too excited about it either, are you, Noah? I mean... <laughs> I haven't gotten far enough to in the game to complain about the in-game content, and I just thought yeah. that this story even being removed from Diablo 3, for, well, more removed from it than everybody else who was on the podcast last week. I never thought getting into Diablo that there needed to be in-game content because it's not a freaking MMO. Right. It's just like, what the hell? Are, do they really believe that this is an MMO in disguise? And It's not in any way, shape, or form. And yet they're talking about it like it is. It's like, oh, yeah. our current model isn't sustainable of adding all these new systems and content every couple months. I'm like, why are you doing that? Isn't the game done? Work on yeah. an expansion. That's what people expect next, just like you're saying, Mark. And I, I just, I guess this is really, maybe this is laying bare that their idea of the the business machinations of the real money auction house were meant to make this a new kind of MMO that generated tons of revenue for Blizzard. But it's just like, 
you know, maybe you shouldn't have focused so much on that and should have just yeah delivered more of the same or, or a, a, put your innovation into something else besides that to make the game more exciting. And that make yeah. it a traditional Diablo game. Yeah, make it a true spiritual successor, which I think it pretty much is. But, you know, when you add in some of the other things that they've done that have, you know, alienated the, the community, um, you know, it's 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 sort of Diablo 2 spiritual successor, just not quite there. Yeah. But trying to make it some kind of abomination of Diablo meets MMO, um, you know, with with real world money. What was the name of that game called that was so bad? Like Project Entropia or something like that. It I think that was also had a real world, you know, um conversion system. And mm-hmm. uh I never dug that either, so <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess what I'm saying is um you know, just get the damn expansion out and get and before that though, get the uh the uh, StarCraft II expansion out first, because that's what I really want to play. Yeah, I want to smash me some bugs. Yeah, that's going to be f- f- featured. Yeah. At a Comic Con, I think. Oh yeah, I think so. Should be exciting to hear what the impressions are of that expansion because Zerg are awesome. They are. They're so fun to play. But earlier you mentioned the ter- the word abomination, and I feel that that's a decent enough segue into talking about Vivendi looking to unload Activision and Blizzard. <laughs> <laughs> well, they took Activision and Blizzard and they stuck them together, hoping that they would end up with uh, Reese's uh, peanut butter cup, I guess. Um, yeah. Hey, you got my chocolate and my peanut butter. Hey, you got your peanut butter and my chocolate. Mm, yummy. Mm. <sighs> uh, so not quite so much. And, uh, yeah, trying to unload them for, uh, what was the low, low price of $18 billion or something like that? $18.9 um, billion was the merger. The, they want to, that's how much it costs to merge Vivendi Universal, which at that time owned Blizzard, with Activision. They're now trying to sell, the, Vivendi is now trying to sell its 61% stake in the publisher which is currently valued at $8.1 billion. Billion dollars. So if you do a lot of Diablo 3 playing, maybe you could come <laughs> up with the kind of money. I don't know. It would be tough. But it's possible, I'm sure, to do that. So that could be your ultimate game, game, <laughs> uh, goal in the game, is to buy the company that <laughs> makes the game that you're playing, and then force them to make changes to the game that you wanted in the first place. It's a flawless plan. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so odd. You know, what could go wrong with it, right? Um, yeah. I'll look to others to realize the uh, success <laughs> of that goal. I thought about this briefly. It's like, well, it's it's a great opportunity. And uh, one story that I read about this made an allusion to Tencent. Since Tencent over in China has been buying all sorts of things, like it bought out right games yeah but even those acquisitions were only in the mere hundreds of millions not billions of dollars so it's unlikely that any company is going to step up for this even though these are the currently the biggest companies in gaming thanks to call of duty and world of warcraft but what's more likely is that the company is just going to get spun off yeah, I think it's kind of unfortunate. 
Um, we, we we thought only bad things could happen when it happened in the first place. So it's you know the fulfillment. I mean, well, look look at um, let's see. You can't say you can't cite StarCraft Two as an example of how it's turned bad, but certainly the Pandaren expansion and um, Diablo Three's kind of critical uh, reception, I think, would be two examples of hey maybe. Trying to squeeze this cash cow for everything it's worth is not the best idea and doesn't stick with the, you know, kind of the principles that made it what it was in the first place. I don't know. It's a crazy thought, but maybe it's a little disingenuous in the end. Yeah, I think if this spinoff does occur, Activision Blizzard, I think it should retain its title as being like the biggest game developer. I'm not sure how much Vivendi's ownership played any into that. I, I think it would. I, I don't think it would change its standing between itself and EA. But Well, it doesn't look like Sony will be buying them because they just spent all their money elsewhere. That's right. That would be really interesting, though, if Sony had bought them. Yeah. It's really strange. They're like, we have massive amounts of money to waste. I mean, spend. I mean, invest. <laughs> the last little bits of news in our intergetting are related to Funcom. Secret World is out. It's no longer a secret. That's right. The betas are done, the relentless Facebook marketing and all that other stuff that's been going on. And the Facebook marketing was a big turnoff for me. Yeah. I know I, it got I was too invigorated, in... but not for... No, just kidding. Well, yeah, me, the big Facebook gamer. Um, yeah. I, I originally was really excited about the premise. I'm like, wow, this is cool. What a neat thing for them to do after Age of Conan. And I've always maintained kind of a, a decent level of interest. And then I've heard various yeah. things about it from Ter and from Eric. Uh, Eric is uh, is always good at describing the ups and downs of a game. He seems to be liking it. Uh, I'm still, I'm not sure as much about jumping in, especially since it's a subscription game. I feel like I'm just done with subscription games. Yeah, like the world has moved on. But uh, what's interesting about this game coming out, it's a big milestone for Funcom. And yet the day before it comes out, the studio's CEO stepped down. And he's like, oh, my failure is complete. I will now fall <laughs> yeah. on my sword. And they're like, wait, it released on time as planned. No, I must I must go down with this ship. But, sir, I don't know what was going on there. Yeah, it's so weird. So the, let's see, his now this, oh, wow, these are, I think, Swedish names. <laughs> they look yeah, CEO Trond Arne Os. Uh, Scottish and Swedish combined. And yeah, he, Trond has resigned, and he said, the company's financial position is strong, and the foundation of the company's long-term product and technology strategy is in place. It feels like a very natural point in time for me to make the transition to a new and freer role in the company, but I will remain committed to the company, both as a major shareholder and as an employee. So he's not completely going away. He's just going to become a strategic advisor on the board of directors. Yes. Which still seems like a exit path to me. Yeah, it really, really kind of does. It's kind of like, yes, everything is as it was, even though this is now a headless snake wallowing in the grass and dirt. Just just don't look at us for a while, and everything will be okay. <laughs> look at the new game that just came out. Look at the game. Look at the, look at the shiny, the bright shiny. 
Yeah. And on top of that, I mean, th- things definitely don't look down for Funcom because they just secured no. the the responsibility of developing a new MMO for Legos. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe right after they secured that deal, he looked into his history book and said, I wonder what happened last time somebody tried <laughs> to make a Lego MMO. Yeah. <laughs> it miserably, one of the last developers in Colorado, Ned Devil, yeah. released Lego Universe back in October 2010, and it was popular, but it couldn't make any money. And yeah. so just a year later... The game was shut down, and that devil's out of business, as I recall. By all accounts, a good game, too. Yeah, it's a shame. And so, let's see. Uh, Funcom apparently believes it can dodge the Lego bullet and make a new MMO that's really fun for the family and has, quote-unquote, maximum accessibility, figuring heavily on the minifigures. I think, actually, they're just going to, once they apply the mature rating to it, It'll just, you know, fly off the shelf like hotcakes. <laughs> well, apparently... If you want oh, to... yeah, Lego porn. <laughs> Snap it on. Snap it on. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is awesome. <laughs> yes. If you want to get a taste of what this MMO could be like, apparently it's going to be very... It's going to take a, a cue from the Flash-based minifigures games that are on the company's minifigures sub-website. Uh, that's yeah, cool. I'd I Google the Princess Leia Slave Girl minifig to kind of get an idea for what an M-rated uh, um, you know, <laughs> Lego game could be like. And I'm totally kidding about the M-rating, actually. They've said very clearly not to expect adult themes to carry over <laughs> for this particular <laughs> game. But it's a funny thought, nonetheless. But what me. a game it could be if it did. Oh, yes. <laughs> Trains going into tunnels would be awesome. All kinds of good stuff to look at. So something that was a really fun development while playing these show notes was that Mark's like, a secret world is out? They're like, yeah. yeah. What the hell? And something happened during the last half hour. Would you care to share, Mark? Well, well, if when this episode sees the light of day if my audio is completely unintelligible it's probably because I'm actually downloading the secret world while we're doing the podcast which I once crucified uh, Eric for of course there was an obvious audio impact when he did it right I mean (laughs) I remember yeah it's like are you downloading by chance and yes I am why well well, anyway, um, yeah, I watched while we were just putting, well, while Noah was doing all the work, I was looking at a um, gameplay scene for The Secret World showing one of the starter classes, which I won't ruin, and it was, like, really kind of cool looking, and I was just like, wow, this looks awesome, and that's when, like, my my trigger reflex, trigger finger reflex <laughs> went into action. Now, that's not entirely true, because as Noah heard me cussing and bitching the usability to actually buy the damn thing was really annoying because I already have a, a Funcom account. I guess if I didn't have a Funcom account, it would have been a lot simpler. But I was in the beta, though I never actually played it. Um, and so I wanted to use my account, and it kept taking me in this infinite loop that would dodge me actually being able to order the thing. So um, I finally got through that, and I'm downloading it now based on the <laughs> 
the cool uh, gameplay stuff I saw on YouTube. So we'll see. But wow. I really, I for months or for years now, I've been wanting to play this as a Templar. So I've always had a kind of a thing for the Knights Templars. Like oh yeah, really, a really cool, you know, ancient order that you know, I, I, they just have a really cool history. And if you've never, if you're into the Knights Templar, there's this, these um, a movie out of Sweden called uh, Arn that's really awesome. And I highly recommend it. And you can watch it on Netflix if you have the streaming stuff. It's really cool. It's all in Swedish, but you get over that pretty fast if you've ever watched a foreign film. Unless you're Swedish, in which case it won't be a foreign film to you. <laughs> That's right. I think we do have some Swedish listeners. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, listeners, let us know if you have dived into the secret world. I remember last week, Scott Southern Scott was excited about it and thinking it was cool that the game was coming out. We'll find out. We, As I mentioned before, Eric has been into the game, and I, I'm fairly certain he's playing it right now. He is. Uh, I just watched him on Raptor. <laughs> Silently. Yeah. I'm not so, lurking. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know if you have any impressions of Secret World and Cinnamon to Mail. E-mail. Channelmassive.com. And I think that's an appropriate moment, Mark. Say, speaking of email, listen oh, yeah. back is up next. As I mentioned at the start of the show, we have some meaty listener feedback. First of all, saved for this episode a big old email from Agamemnon the Reckoning, which it actually came out, it came to us last week and so it covers some stuff that we covered in previous episodes but it was so good we wanted to be able to respond to it with a nice focus versus shuffling it around with nine yeah. talking at once so i thought what was funny about this email mark is that it starts with this 202 accepted statement yeah for episode 202 <laughs> i like that too and i think this is some kind of standard internet response or server response text at the beginning. Yeah. I don't know. It is I, funny though. Yeah. It, like a, like a 404 or a, yeah. a, you know, a 301 or 302 redirect or something. In giant letters, 202 accepted. The request has been accepted for processing, but the processing has not been completed. The 202 response is intentionally bold letters, non-committal. <laughs> and then it goes on and on. And I, I actually don't really know what it's talking about, but it was funny. Yeah, I liked it. But that said, there were a few main points that Agamemnon hit on. First of all, talking about games that are so fun that you can't stop playing them. When he had some free time to play video games, when his girls went to a Comic-Con, he was randomly digging through old Xbox games and found a new Sims game that he hadn't played yet. And so he writes... I started playing, leveling up my Sims, and then boxing them into the shower and their room and the pool and taking away their fire alarms, blocking them in the kitchen. And then he said, sometimes <laughs> it's just fun to play God and wipe out mankind. <laughs> Did I you like ever that. do that, Sims? Um, no, I never, I never really played the Sims. I played Sims, but I could never bring myself to kill them. Oh, right. <laughs> they died. But I know a number of people who are all about Sim torture. <laughs> <laughs> Agamemnon is one of them, as it turns out. Nice. He also shared some opinions about the new consoles, so this has got a bit of an E3 slant to it, this email. Oh, yeah. 
he believes that the time is ripe for new consoles, and he thinks that the next Xbox will be out by the end of next year, and we'll see it clearly defined by next E3. And he thinks the reason that new consoles are needed is because there's just nothing really new or innovative coming out right now, and that he believes that gaming in general is in a rut, just filled with clones. And apparently he hates Sony because he's like, Sony can suck a donkey dick. I hate them, and I hate <laughs> their products, and most of their games are crappy too. It was just kind of... Even Sony Online Entertainment, he threw in the bus. It's still Sony, he said. <laughs> so he told us how he really felt about that, and I assume yeah. that if he has a choice, he'll be buying a new Xbox and not a PlayStation 4. I get that feeling, too. <laughs> but that said, he wasn't that impressed with the new smart glass because he thought that that was just a gimmick. Like Nintendo's. Not much use for it. Is, oh, my gosh. <laughs> these these statements. That's what I like. <laughs> As for E3 overall, he just wasn't impressed. He said, he's like, I kind of drooled over the new Elder Scrolls Online, but that's just because I love that world and the single-player RPG story, but that really was the only exception of the whole of E3. Everything else that he saw, he thought, just looked like Me Too's and sequels. And he was expecting Microsoft or Sony to announce new consoles since it's been five years since we got a new one. But as we know, that didn't happen. Otherwise, he says, there's one game I forgot the name of, which had some hacking in it that seemed a little like a mix of Deus Ex, Max Payne, and Prototype. And that looked really nice. Watch Dogs, that was the game, Agamemnon. And I agree that that was the coolest part of E3. And I'm looking forward to it. Just as you are. Mm-hmm. He said that that was all that he had to say. Regards, Agamemnon on the reckoning. Well, thanks for writing in. Yeah. Next up, we had an email from Military Scott, who got so excited about our Ready Player One slash '80s podcast because it really was half and half. I was surprised, Mark. It ended up being like, yeah, half was talking about Ready Player One, and then like another hour of it was just talking about favorite '80s themes pretty cool. I thought it was a good balance. Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And apparently Military Scott enjoyed it so much, he like ran out and put on his Thundercats t-shirt and took pictures of himself and emailed them. <laughs> Which was really awesome. Yeah. And he wrote, oh man, our relationship is written in the stars. It's like we're meant to be. You guys made an 80s show and I just happened to have an 80s shirt on. <laughs> and then he posts his, puts his sexy quote-unquote photo in of his Thundercats t-shirt, he says, that's my sexy look for all the Channel Massive ladies. Oh, one of them, Rar. No. <laughs> Either that, he continues, or I read the title and put my sweet Thundercats tee on. Regardless, great show. I'm going to get Ready Player One when I hit up the Barnes & Noble. Nice. And then he put a more serious picture of himself in a his con- Thundercats it's t-shirt. It's as though we were contemplating the mysteries of the universe with that other one. It was yeah. good. He says, here's the man version. Right, of, right. Of Channel Massive. All six of them. <laughs> yeah, thank you. At least you. he's got our listener base right. That's right. <laughs> he can, he's an international he listener base. Uh, yes, six. yes. <laughs> because there are, there's only one or two in the U.S. Right. Um, he continues any great episode I love nostalgia just don't try and relive it because it ruins the whole deal I saw an episode of the original A-Team TV show a few months ago I no longer love it when a plan comes together sad face oh man now you gotta watch Knight Rider and Airwolf and your your failure will be complete yeah no kidding I'll be like what he can take the Fall Guy and the Greatest American Hero and all those other badass shows from back in the day would be ruined 
Friends sure. don't let friends relive nostalgia, Military Scott. Not to mention some of the movies, like Real Genius or... Oh, yeah. Yeah, Better don't do bed, it. Yeah. Okay. That's right. I watched those in the last uh, 10 years, and I was like, wow, not that great. But that said, I have been watching other movies from the past that I'll talk about in general geekery. And just to say that sometimes there is some good stuff, there is some old stuff out there that, at least to me, ages well. That is cool. True. Like a fine wine. Yes. Not not like cheap wine, like Mad Dog 2020. Not to say I have anything against Mad Dog 2020. If you're the makers of Mad Dog 2020 are looking to sponsor us, but, uh, I just don't <laughs> think it ages as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Channel Massive, powered by Mad Dog 2020 peach flavor. <laughs> His wine and peaches goes together so well. <laughs> um. Our last piece of feedback actually is not email. No, it was, a, it was something, some new form of media that I'm still trying to understand. I think it's called tweeter painting. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, wait! It's it's a it's a tweet from from our good friend Eric, who writes to Noah. I just realized the only reason I have any interest in Channel Massive is because Mark sounds like Garfield, and then he has a sample of <laughs> of a Garfield episode. Cartoon. To which I say, well, you remind me of Odie. And like any good Garfield episode, I will be trying to kick your ass. <laughs> Odie. The funny thing was, Eric, that when you said that, I'm like, he doesn't sound like Bill Murray or John Belushi or whatever the hell did Garfield's voice. But then I went and listened to this little video. I'm like, it does kind of sound like Mark. Oh, hell with you all. I, I, do you want me? to say it. Should I do it? Mmm, lasagna. All right. <laughs> That's all for now. Damn it. I know I have a crappy voice. I'll get you for this, Eric. Uh, you know, uh, Mark and I were trying to place it, but we do believe that Eric has a distinctive voice as well that reminds us of something, but we can't... Ah, I know. I can't put... I can't name what his voice sounds like. I'm sure if... Uh, if if we'd had Jason on tonight, he would be able to. He's really good at that. So yes, he's all about voices. So for now, yes. we will crowdsource this question to our listeners to tell us who they think Eric sounds like. Which you can hear him in previous episodes of Channel Massive. He's also narrated some videos about oh, what was it? The free to play MMO. From the people who made Dragon Nest and Dungeon Fighter Online. Vindictus. Vindictus, yes. Yes. Eric posted some how-to-play Vindictus videos where he brings his ebullient enthusiasm over. So mm-hmm. listen to that and let us know who you think Eric sounds like. If anybody at all. Maybe maybe Mark and I are just delusional. But No, there's someone. I just can't name it. But yeah. We will find out. We will ask. All seven listeners of Channel yeah. Massive. We've grown. Our audience has grown since we began the podcast. And wow, if we've grown by that much, that's a pretty big leap. <laughs> yeah, that's like what? I don't know, 14%? I don't know, something. <laughs> awesome. At any rate, thank you. It's it's always great to hear from all of you, Eric, Military Scott, Agamemnon. We look forward to hearing from you again and anybody else out there who feels so inspired to share their keen observations about us (laughs) 
or about the gaming world or geekery in general. Up next, what we're playing. Well, this is my favorite section, the one that I take the lead in because I don't have to do any work for it. It's the what we're playing section, and at this point I would like to ask Noah, what the heck have you been playing, sir? Well, Mark, I have good news in that finally I've broken my, what is it, gaming fast? Oh, yeah. Because it just because of the way my schedule had been, I hadn't really played anything for about a month. But finally, I, out of nowhere, I just decided to buy a DSi XL, which is basically an extra large oh. DS Lite. Yeah. And I was really skeptical about this model of the DS because I thought, oh, this is just a cash-in from Nintendo, and it's really irrelevant, not to mention it commands a price premium and no longer has a slot for Game Boy Advance cartridges. This is really stupid. It's going to stretch the the visual quality so that since the images are being stretched from the original DS Lite screen to the larger DS, uh, DSi XL screen, the graphics won't look as good. But as it turns out, I was wrong. And since the price has come down <laughs> from the previous price point, I've been really happy with it. And it's made oh, me cool. think that maybe I should really strongly consider getting a 3DS XL, which will be coming out as early as next month. It just came out of nowhere. Only the second year into the 3DS's life cycle and already the XL model is going to be coming out with a longer battery life and just larger screens. And now that I know that larger screens can be accomplished with only minimal blurring, only in, on the DSi XL, it's only when there's anti-alias that is uh, smoothed, screen-smoothed oh, yeah. fonts. Mm -hmm. It kind of sticks out there, but it's still not that bad. A lot of other stuff still looks terrific, whether it's painted images, sprites, non-smooth cool. text. It looks great. And uh, the funny thing is, I hadn't touched my DS Lite for months because I dropped it and put a crack in one of the hinges. And after that, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't play it. It's, it's going to break. So when I got my DSi XL out of the box, and then I dug up my sadly fractured DS Lite, my reaction was so weird. I'm like, oh my gosh, how could I possibly play with such a small device? <laughs> oh, it's like, I want to play with the big device. This device is made for adults. It's made for me. <laughs> and it was so weird because I never would have thought I would think something so ridiculous like that. But sure enough, I did. And I got so jazzed up about it. So since I did that, uh, I charged it up and I've since resumed playing the game that I stopped playing when I damaged my DS Lite. And I also had to do some reviews for Nintendo Joe. So now I'm playing more prof more Professor Layton, the fourth Professor Layton game, which is kind of good. It's not as good as the previous two, but it's still decent. Uh, it's just one of my favorite worlds to go to. It's just got a great feel to it and really wholesome, and it really challenges you with really good brain teasers. So that's what I've been playing. I'm hoping that I, I keep – I've been going with more frequency – to League of Legends website, the League of Legends website, which I used to do on a daily basis. Right. Even when I wasn't playing every day, I'd still go every day to the League of Legends website, see any new updates, read what the forums reacted to. And then for like a month or two, I just kind of stopped. But this last, these last couple of weeks, I've been looking more and more frequently, and yet I still have not actually played a game. Because at this point, after it's now been about three months since I've played that, yeah. and I feel like I would be so bad. I tried it, and it uh, wasn't that bad. I don't think you'll be bad. Did you play uh, a Dominion game or a regular game? 
Dominion as uh, Sona. It wasn't horrible, you know. The sad thing is, Mark, I don't remember any of my build order whatsoever. Oh, I bet it'll come back to you. I don't know. <laughs> it took me. It took a lot of time, listeners. Sadly, for as much as I played that game, to ever really get any grasp. And even then, it was very basic of the technical details related to items and build orders. Yeah. And I still heavily relied upon even years, even a year to plan it. Looking, going to the websites and showing like, show me what are the pre, the pre-made builds are. I'll try this one. I'll try this one. Then I have to write it down to remember it in game. And I'm like, all right, buy this item now. Buy this item. I'm like, well, I, I kind of did good in that game. I guess it worked. <laughs> I still don't know what I'm doing. I just play right. for the kills. <laughs> right. <laughs> Kill. <laughs> But that's all I've got. I, I hopefully will have something to say about League of Legends that's more concrete. What have you been playing, Mark? You know, um, so well, I'll touch. I'll touch on the new um, the new game I've been playing for the Ready Player One challenge in our next segment. So aside from that, I've been kind of all over the board. Um, I've been. I played some. Oh, you know what? Let me, let me pull up the list here. I'm so unprepared. Um, I have been trying to find something to spend time on that's really fun, and it's been kind of hard for me, and I don't know why. I played some Beat Hazard Ultra or whatever. I don't know if have you ever played that. Yeah, it's really good. But playing that, um, some. Um, oh, where is it? I start. I was gonna start playing Dragon Age Origins again. Oh, and then I, I decided I decided not to. And then um, I loaded up uh, Fear, the first one, and I was going to play that. And didn't end up getting into it. Grand Theft Auto, Auto the first one. Really don't like that. Um, <laughs> the original uh, top-down one? Yeah. Oh, I'm wow. like, oh, I don't think I'm going to go back that far. You know, I've quit playing Legend of Grimrock altogether because it just got too ridiculously hard. Um, Lord of the Rings Online, believe it or not. Wow. Played that a little bit. I told you I've been all over the place. Um, Neverwinter Nights 2. And plants, a lot of Plants vs. Zombies. I love trying it. To, trying to get through that. And finally, Mass Effect. I started playing that. Thank you. I was about to taunt you about that. There's one game <laughs> missing in your long list of titles, and that is Mass Effect. Yeah, so I'm I'm only at the beginning of it, you know, but farther than I ever made it before. Well, where and, are you? Uh, Tell me. <laughs> oh, I, I just. Support. What are the uh, What are the the first Spectre just got killed by some other Spectre, and we're all like going, "What the hell just happened?" Oh, cool. So you're still in the prologue. Yeah, Keep I'm in the off you know, that planet. Yeah, because I gotta say the writing in the prologue is not that awesome from what I expected. Um, so I'm hoping that I mean. It's it's as good as like you know a Bioware game, but I really had expected this to be incredible writing. I'm hoping that it just starts to pick up after that. But uh, oh, you do so much reading and so much listening to come. Oh, good. But yeah, it's um so I do have that rolling, and then uh, I've been playing um, Marvel Ultimate Alliance with my son, and we're just about done with that. We we keep say- I keep saying that every week, but I think we really are almost done. And um, <laughs> and now I'm downloading uh, the Secret World, so oh. we'll see. But I've been doing, I've been playing a lot of music and just working on stuff, you know, in the studio. So that's where a lot of my free time has gone lately. So I don't think well, it's I have a bad to say, thing. please stick with Mass Effect because where you're at right now is, I think, where I stopped several times. 
Oh, cool. <laughs> over a five-year period. And it's just like, oh, well, you know, I got distracted by something else. Like, you could be about, you you may be about to be distracted, I don't know how else to say that, by the secret world. Don't. <laughs> don't do it. At least get through the freaking prologue of the game, which is right. where you're at. And you'll know once you're through it. Uh, because for some reason, I mean, granted, that's definitely the, the tip of the iceberg for that game. Uh, but getting past that's really where it started to start rolling. And are you playing on casual or normal? Normal. I'd say playing casual. Really? Oh. Yeah. Just don't set yourself up for getting annoyed with, all right, instead of killing 10 dudes, I have to kill 20 of them, and they have a little bit higher hit points. That's what I'm experiencing in Mass Effect 3. I finally started playing that, and I played mm-hmm. that one normal. And it's like, the game's still cool. I still have the world. I still have the dialogue choices, but the battles are taking longer. And given that you still get all the same perks and endings and cutscenes and right. benefits and everything carries over. Um, and if you're still not totally invested in the battle, because at first the battling, I didn't understand what the hell was going on. It took me a long time to figure out. And I'm like, dude, let my squad mates control themselves. I don't have time to micromanage this bullshit. I'm here for the story and I want to sh- do some headshots and stuff, but whatever. You and just doing that, made it go faster and smoother and it's like oh wow this world is so cool hmm. so that would be my recommendation so get through the prologue i don't know if you can dynamically adjust the difficulty in that one or not you I can think you could i don't know i'm always thinking of redoing it because my shepherd came out as one ugly dude like i don't know why but it's <laughs> like like the more i play i'm like man i really made it i hope he has a killer personality for the ladies because he's <laughs> He's not much to look at. Well, I'll tell you that the female shepherd has superior voice acting and can make the game even better. But hmm. I know you've played female avatars before and enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. So definitely. that could be worth considering. Of course, I'm try that. That. you're going to be, and and she can romance dudes and ladies from game one. Yeah, if that's important to you. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, you know, if I was playing The Witcher too, maybe. Or, <laughs> but, uh, even though I know that Fox News said it was a sex simulator, I'll, uh, I'll, I don't know what I'll do. Maybe I'll make it a lady to hear the superior voice acting. I don't know. But the funny thing is, is I, I totally know what you mean though. I, I liked my dude's look. Because it wasn't the dude on the box, I customized mine as well. Yeah. And I kept it through on Mass Effect 2, and the Mass Effect 3 came over, and it didn't import my character correctly. It's like he went from having red hair to black hair, and his eyes were different. I'm like, what the hell? How hard is this to do? And so I had to kind of tinker with it anyways, and I ended up actually making some subtle improvements. I'm like, all right, cool. My dude looks better now. So like, Yeah, um, you know, my main dude for um, Dragon Age, I, I thought I'd be pretty good with the editor because of that, but he, he came out pretty good. But the guy I made for Dragon Age 2 was like a really cool looking dude, and I liked him even more. And I thought, well, surely I can make a cool shepherd, but no, nah, not so much. There aren't as many options. As no, I, it's, it's really It's kind of hard to conservative. make someone who's not funky looking. Yeah. No, he looks funky. He looks like he's been hit in the face a few times by some <laughs> like blunt objects. He looks yeah. kind of asymmetrical and, and <laughs> like he's made his his complexion is really bad. I, look, he may have a drinking problem, maybe heroin. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Whatever they have in space, but uh, yeah, it's, it's not so good. So, 
anyway, that's what I've been up to. Um, well, that's exciting. I can't wait to hear more about most of those games. Yeah. Lord of the Rings Online, I know you're just hanging I, on my every word. You know, maybe five sentences. I'm, mm. that, I'm that interested. I'm not my elf sentences. archer shot in a shot something. <laughs> not five words. Oh, I'll, I'll get the uh, oops. I'll get some uh, combat text for you. Time for the general geekery section of the episode. One of my favorite new additions to the channel massive podcast format. Oh, thank you for talking <laughs> like a news person. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing that the one item that all of us talked about the most during the last week was the second gate or AKA the second game of the three game real world competition for ready player one launched it launched at midnight on July 1st. And there was a lot of anticipation and excitement about this because of course, as we've talked about before, the first person to complete all three of these games will win a a DeLorean from the author with some modifications to it potentially. And the first game was a genuine Atari 2600 game made by folks who made Atari 2600 games back in the day. It had the same graphics engine, the same type of gameplay. You could actually play it on an Atari 2600. So everybody was very excited to see what could possibly be the second and third games in the sequence, figuring that it would be something highly 80s still, something very relevant to the book's theme, the celebration of 80s pop culture. And the second game kind of is that but mostly it's not tell us what it is mark you know i would i would just talk about it but i think i'd i'd rather just share with you the email i sent out late that night after the first, the second gate opened okay so i sent out this email to a few members of the podcast and jeff and bob um jason and noah um, Jeff was the one who told Noah and, and me about Ready Player One. And, um, well, here's what I said. My title was, Ugh, the second gate is a Facebook game. And then my sentence was, and even worse, it's written by Richard Garriott. No! And then it's got this screenshot of from within the Facebook game of the Ultimate Collector Garage Sale. Ready Player One contest, the second gate. Win a real DeLorean automobile, really. Congratulations, adventurer. You've unlocked the second gate. Quest in the Ready Player One Easter Egg Hunt. Ernest Klein, author of the New York bestselling blah, 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 blah. The first person <laughs> to complete all three challenges by September 30th, 2012, will win the grand prize of fully restored 1981 DeLorean automobile. And I was just bummed. So I played it quite a bit that night and realized I would actually have to spend money if I wanted to finish it that night, just because of the way you're, you know, like any of these Facebook games, the way stuff like your points you can spend on stuff refresh. And so I put it down thinking, well, at least I'll work through the next couple, three days so that I can just be done with it and move on to gate three. Um, So some of the feedback I got back was pretty funny. Do you mind if I read yours, Noah? No, go ahead. He says, wow, this is the equivalent of IOI making the game. Now, IOI was the 
uh, antagonistic organization in the game, um, in the in, I'm sorry, in, in soulless um, corporation in the book that was uh, trying to get through all the gates in the book as quickly as possible. Uh, Noah continues, shameless cheese ball profiteering. Hey, can I make a game for you? Maybe they'll buy my crappy Facebook games while they're there. Maybe Zynga will make the third one. We can only hope. So based on that, you know, you can imagine our, our excitement. Um, our friend Jeff has managed to avoid Facebook this entire time. So he, he probably won't be playing it. Although it sounds like his girlfriend's trying to lure him in. But the best one, I think, was what um, Jason wrote when he said, This cracks me up. You were so damn excited for this thing, only to find it was a Facebook game, R-O-F-L. I liken it to when Ralphie got his little orphan Annie decoder ring, and when he finally decoded the message, it was a stupid commercial for Ovaltine. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, if you can just imagine me, like, hunched over my keyboard, just totally despondent. That was about how I was when I figured out what was going on. Um, I don't know. I'm not too thrilled about it, really. Uh, I had really hoped for... I mean, after the first gate was so awesome, being a classic format Atari 2600 game that you had to run in an emulator that, you know, brought back all of that, you know, it was considered by many people trying to play it very difficult, so it had the old school difficulty stuff going on. I had to make a map out of it. I really had hoped for something like that, maybe just a different console, maybe a different kind, maybe like a text game like a Zork or, you know, something like that. Not at all ready for a Facebook game. And the only thing about it that's corresponding with the 80s are the items that you're buying at garage sales are 80s items, some of them, that have a tag or a a quality called nerdy. And if you collect all the right ones, that's when you can assemble the five main components you need to, um, you know, complete the second gate challenge. But there's just nothing nearly as cool as what the first... Uh, gate was as well, far what's as lame I'm about it is it's essentially a farmville cityville ripoff where you're collecting shit and you're arranging it on a isometric grid yeah it looks so much like farmville it's ridiculous you're skilling up stuff and it's in beta and it's buggy oh well yeah so it launched and on the forums everyone was like what the hell i can't get in i can't do anything i it's it's giving me this like 404 error everybody was like really bummed out I, you know, just because of different careers that I've had, was a little more savvy in how to get in. And, you know, a couple Google Google searches later, I was playing. Um, but I imagine a lot of people were very frustrated. One guy actually finished it, though, um, in the first day. Now, I don't know if he... I imagine he had to spend some bucks to do it, some real-world money. Yeah, people can't imagine. immediately jumped on him with cynicism. So how much did you pay? He's like, yeah, so I had to pay some money to win, but, you know, whatever, I finished it. Yeah, you know, and it's not like I'm not saying, you know, that that's good or bad necessarily. Um, I'm sure that Wade wouldn't have been able to have done that because he didn't have any money. <laughs> but uh, that was his name, right? Wade Was it Wade Wilson or Wade? What was yeah, it was Wade. Yeah, he wouldn't have been able to have done that, so it was a little bit out of character. But, um, you know, however you want to get through it. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people weren't able to get in right away. You know, a lot of negative commentary. <laughs> Goddamn buggy Richard Garriott game, blah, blah, blah. So um, nothing against Richard Garriott. I mean, I, even though my 
my my sins was kind of snarky. It's like, yeah, when you look back at what he's done, he's done a lot of really good things. I just don't like Facebook games at all. I think they're the worst of the worst. So uh, at least well, that's all that Richard Gary does now is he makes cheesy social games that that's are what he's into focused yeah. on cashing in. But I mean, I can't take like the Ultima series away from him or what Origin did for a while. I mean, I try to. I really <laughs> try to. But, you know, or Tabula Rasa even was pretty cool at first. I mean, uh, it just didn't, it just flopped. But, you know, um, I don't know. Any, all in all, I was really let down. I'm really, I'm viewing it as a chore. I have 26 days, well, 25, to um, open the dam or get through the, this next challenge so I will be applicable for the third and final challenge. But all of my excitement is kind of gone by the wayside. There have been people who've defended the game in the comments, saying like, "Well, this is cool because yeah, you could spend money, but if you, it's really about you need to make alliances with other people in Facebook, just like you do in the in the Ready Player One book, and that's the, one of the best ways to get through and collect everything is by making connections with people, and we can make temporary alliances just like they did in the book, and uh, and like Wade have to, had to." spend some money to get some fast warps across the galaxy at one point too. And like, this is the only way that the, the games could have really tied in collecting things and collecting eighties memorabilia. It's just like, whatever dudes. Yeah. You are digging too far. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know enough of that. I'm just kind of bummed about it. The great book, great author, really cool dude. I mean, he, I really liked his, uh, Oh yeah. He's wonderful. Reading. I can't wait to see what else he does. He's also the guy that did the fanboys screenplay too. So yeah, and it's like being in Ernest Klein's position. I doubt that I would be like, you know, if Richard Gary had said, "Hey, can I make a game?" I thought it was so awesome your book, blah blah blah. I'd be like, "Oh my god, yeah, you can make a game. I don't care what it is." And yeah. I doubt that he would have been like, "Oh, come on, you're making a Facebook game. That kind of sucks." I mean, he might have thought that. Yeah. Uh, but he, I, who's I mean, he's just like this humble author. He's not going to be someone to say, this game sucks. I don't want to yeah. use this in my contest. He's going to be yeah. like, oh, my God, it's Richard Garriott. Yeah, who's one of the um, – Richard? he had mentioned that Richard Garriott is one of the inspirations for the – the uh, what's Anorak guy? Uh, the, yeah, the, the founder of the – The founder the of – The creator uh, of the game in the book. Yeah, in the book, yeah. So, Oh, well. Next gate. Ready for the next one. <laughs> The rest of our general geekery is going to focus on visual entertainment, that is to say, movies and television. For me, I last year I got a Blu-ray player that supports 3D, and in so doing, I didn't think I'd really get many movies. Uh, but if I did, they would be 3D, or they'd be something that I really, really liked, so I wouldn't get into the trap of buying lots of random crap like I did when I got a DVD player. And so I've just gotten some anthologies, specifically Alien, Jurassic Park, uh, Star Wars. And I've been watching through those. Uh, what was So, yeah, I mentioned before watching the fan, rewatching The Phantom Menace for the first time in years and still being angry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that I'd be more mature. And since I'd have my expectations set and knew that it wasn't going to be that great. But there's still parts of it that really sucked. And then I remember it. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's he kind of makes up for it because some of the parts at the end in the end are, are kind of cool. 
Well, anyway, since then, I've watched all the Jurassic Park movies, and they're really cool. The second mm. one still isn't great. I, I wish it were better. But even Steven Spielberg admits in his little commentaries in the making of, he's like, it's not the, it's not as good as the first one, but it was still fun. I'm like, yeah, I could say that. And the third one was also, you know, it's it's the way the second one should have been. It was surprisingly good. Really cool action sequences, a really good story. And what surprised me about the third one is that they threw out the script like weeks before. Wow. Started filming it. They just didn't like the story. And yet they'd already gone into full production. They created dinosaurs. Wow. Or the original story. And so they had to kind of shoehorn it. Knowing that that kind of upheaval occurred right before the movie was made just really impresses me even further how great it turned out. I really liked the third oh, yeah. But the first one is still the best. Yeah, that's a good one. And then after that, I've resumed watching the Star Wars movies and the recommended order that Mark, that you told me about on this show. Well, I, I got mine from, I think, Jason. Was it? It's, it's the same order, but he, he was the one who told me about it in the first place. Yeah, so that, and I, I let me know if I remembered this incorrectly, but it's basically episodes one and two, and then four and five, and then three, and then six at the end. Oh, it's Bob, not Jason. Bob's the one who told me about it. I think that's it, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I am now actually near the end. I'm at I'm watching episode three, and it's really cool to do a, a jump back and forth between the movies from the late 90s and early 2000s and then the movies from the 70s and 80s. This gets to my reliving things from the 80s and 70s being cool because even with them being special editions, you know, with the gratuitous, stupid extra scene between Han Solo and Jabba the Hutt in episode one. Oh, God, yeah. features like the exact same dialogue between Han Solo and Greedo almost to the word. I'm like, why on earth did he do this? And it looks so bad. Um, but even that aside, man, those movies are just so good, really well paced. And you can tell how much better, how, how great the second one is with totally different people handling the screenplays, somebody different handling the directing. The second one is just, it remains my favorite. It's so well done. And, uh, and uh, sure, sorry, I'm talking about, Empire Strikes Back. Right. <laughs> and Star Wars as the first one and the second one. I'm thinking of them chronologically. Uh, and then the the episode two, Attack of the Clones, was good. But freaking A, the script is awful in all three of the movies. And Hayden Christensen, I, I used to think for some reason that the adult Anakin was actually a decent actor. But I'm like, no, he sucks. He's just as bad oh. as a little kid. Wooden acting, like he and even even manages to screw up. Um, what's her name's ability? Uh, Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. He's a wonderful actress. He even manages to bring her down, and with all that, I love you. I love you too. I love that you <laughs> love the love that I love that you love too. I do too. I love that love you love too. But yeah, the uh, third one, he's a little bit better. At least he starts out, but then when he has to start doing emotional stuff. Yeah, he only looks angry pretty well. That's about all he can do. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, he's just shitty. So I was, um, so I looked up the, uh, there is a site, fanpop.com, that has the best viewing order for mm-hmm. a Star Wars marathon. And so the, there's a bunch of different methods they suggest. Method one is by order of episode. So one, two, three, four, five, six, which I wouldn't advise. Method two is chronological order. So 
four, five, six, one, two, three. But the one that the one that you're doing is you kind of nailed it. It's um, the prequels as a flashback. So you watch you watch the original trilogy. You watch episode four and you watch episode five. But instead of watching Return of the Jedi, you hold off and instead watch the first three prequels. After oh. you finish those, you watch Return of the Jedi. But and so he's got this interesting thing for all three versions, which is or there's four actually, but the last one's horrible. That's why it works. This approach tries to reconcile the biggest problems with the chronological and episodic viewing orders, plot and cinematic continuity. The oldest episodes are placed first in viewing order, while the newer episodes are nested in the middle. The climactic finale provided in episode four, however, is still retained. Additionally, some of the key dramatic twists are still preserved, such as a surprise revelation in Empire Strikes Back about Luke's parentage. The prequel is preceded by a nice cliffhanger from episode five, and episode three also serves as a nice cliffhanger before the final culmination of episode six. The special effects continuity is mostly contained since episodes four and five have the most dated appearance. Episode 6 holds up relatively well against the space battles from the prequels. Um, he says where it fails is that the, the prequel flashback might be too long, and so this is the funniest part ever. And it said in such a straight face with everything else, one workaround would be to skip episode 1 entirely, so the <laughs> flashback only lasts for two films. <laughs> Which I really thought was funny, and so I read all that just to get to that point, but it just made me laugh so hard. Well, there yeah, are I might as well just skip it. Issues because, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi's like, oh, you need to go and find Yoda because he's the one who taught me. And then he's on, they're on Dagobah, and he's like, you taught me, you had issues t- teaching me. And yet episode one's all about how Obi-Wan Kenobi was instructed by Oh, yeah. Qui-Gon Jinn. Yeah, Qui-Gon Jinn, also and, known as Liam Neeson, crazy whore for money actor and everything. <laughs> and then in episode four... <laughs> Like R two D two and C three PO show up, and Obi Wan Kenobi's like, I've never seen these droids before. I've never owned a droid. I've never worked with any droids, and they're so extensively used. Yeah, that's one, two, three. It's just like, ah. But you yeah. know, there's still so many great things in the Star Wars movies, even the episodes one, two, and three, uh, for all the crappy dialogue and dramatic moments that put a stink over things. There's some killer action sequences, some awesome artistic design, really cool special effects that yeah. I've been really enjoying watching them again. Pretty darn cool. What Speaking you- of good sci-fi... Oh, sorry. Um, so, I, you know, one would think that if you were looking for episodic kind of science fiction, uh, thrilling movies or TV shows, you'd probably watch the sci-fi channel. But I, for my money, have not really found much really good on there lately. I guess not since Battlestar Galactica, right? I mean, um, however, there's this new series called Falling Skies that it's not getting, I wouldn't say, critical acclaim, but they did get the nod for a second season, which they're in right now. Um, and uh, Noah, you'll like this. The, the, the leading star's name is uh, Noah Wiley, who is, yes. who is from ER, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, you would never. I would have never thought of that actor as doing justice. So funny. Yeah, and the character he plays is really pretty cool. He's like a historian. Um, but anyway, it's cool because it's a. It starts out post-apocalyptic, like the aliens have already won, and it's just a small rebel group, kind of like the Terminator kind of feeling, you know, in the oh, yeah. far future. It's kind of like that, except instead of Terminators and Skynet, it's these aliens. 
Um, and what's horrific about the aliens is they have these things called uh, collars that are these weird symbiotic um, things that they snap on the kids, and then the kids become like drones to do their work for them, and they're erecting these crazy like weird um, constructs in the major cities, probably so they can harvest some resource from the planet and then move on most likely. That's kind of what you suspect's going on. But it's a it's a pretty cool series. I've really enjoyed watching it. I like how they it takes place in Massachusetts, which is cool because it's like a different setting than, you know, I don't know why, but most series tend to you know go with New York or LA or something like that. So it's kind of cool. It's, it's Massachusetts and it's all about the Second Mass, which is this kind of like a military group that's sprung up from, you know, veterans that are out of retirement and some civilians have been you know joined up and it's it's cool it kind of reminds me of um red dawn sort of because the some of the some of the younger teens and stuff are going out on missions and things um and red dawn you know is all about the russians had had beat america in the cold war and or during the cold war era and it surprised them and it was the resistance so it's about resistance fighting and uh, anyway i just think the story's pretty good i'm enjoying it um it's kind of like a, a good thing to to watch and it's on tnt and not the uh not siffy so <laughs> you know if you like that you might want to check out a novel called the passage by Justin Cronin. It's another horrific uh, post-apocalyptic thing, except it's a vampire apocalypse, oh. which probably sounds kind of cheesy. I mean, whenever we say vampires nowadays, we just think of Twilight or something else. But these are really nasty, gross, uh, psychic vampires with like gigantic long teeth and gray skin and glowing orange eyes. And oh wow, uh, it's it's a uh, they they basically you start out before it happens and that's like the first I don't know quarter of the book and it's really good and then the last three quarters of the book are like many years later and it's just about how society's rebuilt itself and how it's trying to defend itself for the few people that are left from wow. just the roving psychotic gross disgusting vampires that are super violent and they can leap across trees and snatch you up and just they rip you apart and they have psychic powers of all <laughs> things. Just, yeah. Wow! But they don't speak; they just hiss and they chitter, and it's really disturbing. But a, oh. a very interesting post-apocalyptic type thing. I'll check that out. Yeah. Um, the other thing I've been doing is I've started to go back and watch True Blood season five. Um, I really speaking like of vampires. Yeah, speaking of vampires and stuff, um, I really, I really liked the first season of True Blood and, and we used to get together and watch it with uh, mm -hmm. Jim, right? And and then the second uh, season I thought was not quite as good, but was still yeah. good. And then the third season went off the rails for me and the fourth season was, I guess, a little better than that. And But the fifth season to me seems to be Kind of like the original. It seems really good. And um, yeah, my wife, my wife was just telling me today that um, one of her friends um, has read all the books and, and has said that season five seems to be, you know, kind of like back in line with some of the storylines from the books. And maybe really? that's why that's why it's better. I don't know. Um, that's, that's really strange. Well, I've only watched the first two episodes, but everything that I saw in the first two episodes had nothing to do at all with anything in the books. Huh. Like the authority doesn't exist at all in the books. I think the authority is a cool 
cool. It's a, and it's, yeah, it's a really cool construct. I mean, I don't know. What do you think about season five? I kind of like where they're headed with it. I've seen I, it all so far. So yeah, yeah. I've, I was really happy with the first two episodes. They still have way too many characters and storylines, but it's just, for some reason, it's uh, not as annoying as right. it tends to be. And there hasn't been what I saw of what I've seen, which granted is very limited, but it just it didn't drag and it wasn't confusing because sometimes even the last season there was a little bit like Sookie and Eric. It's just like, oh, my God, enough of the euphoric oh, sex yeah. that just go on and on and on. And then just right. all this random bullshit about characters don't really care about. And yet juggling all these polylines like whatever. Uh, this one seems to not have that kind of pacing problem. Right. You know, that's that's been pretty much it for what I've been kind of watching, except, well, one exception, and I'll just throw this in real quick. It's not te- technically geeky, but um, HBO has another series that they just started called The Newsroom. I don't know if you've heard of that. Oh, yeah, some, com- some print ads for it, but I don't know what it's about. So, yeah, it was like my wife was watching it, and I was like, what is that? Because the dialogue was just so smart and well-written. And she's like, yeah, this thing kind of sucked me in because it, uh, it starts out and you don't know much about it, but there's a, a bunch of like news anchors and they're being interviewed on some, you know, Bill Maher like talk show, right, where you have left wing, right wing pundits. And then they have this guy in the middle who's like an anchor who has just been, you know, all about journalism in his career, but he never answers anything with an opinion. And they're like asking him all these questions, you know, are you are you a liberal? No. Are you a conservative? No. I've voted for both sides, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he's just answering standard bullshit questions, you know, like he's too good for him. And like, well, what do you think about this? Like, I really like the Jets and he's just frustrating him. And then the guy sees like in the audience, I think it's like his ex-wife or ex-girlfriend holding like a, you know, a, a, a card up with dialogue on it. And right then this um this young woman, I think they're at a college campus. She goes, why is, why do you think America is the greatest nation in the world? Right. You know, the typical question, right. And the, and the guy on the panel, he starts out with the, the uh, total right wing conservative guy. And he's like, cause of freedom, it's freedom that does it. And then the liberal lady is cause we've made progress with this and that. Right. Then they ask him and he goes, Oh yeah, what they said. And, and the lady on the, with the cards that I think is an imaginary in the audience says, it's not, but it could be, right? And that, like, causes him to start up with this, like, diatribe that goes on for three minutes where he says, no, we're not the best country in the world. We've lost it. And he lists, like, why and everything. And it's just, like, stunning dialogue. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I've been, I'm going to go back and watch all of those. Um, but it look, it's really an interesting kind of serious, you know, like, smart drama type show. Look pretty cool to me. So anyway, mm-hmm. I don't know. Wow, that does sound not, cool. Not general geekery, but there was a hallucination kind of thing going on. <laughs> so maybe there's something, but I think it's just going to be a serious kind of drama where they try and rebuild a guy, this guy's career to be an actual hard-hitting, um, you know, anchor man who actually has expressed his views. <laughs> And though nobody wanted to hear them, no one wants to hear that. If you know you're you're at a like pro, <laughs> we're not the greatest country in the world. What the hell just happened? So you know that was his opinion. But any, anyway, it was interesting. So cool. Yeah. Other than that, not much else going on except for my my um my love of of uh, Swedish um not porn. Believe it or not, I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say stoner metal. So 
listening to a lot of that on Spotify. You are so international in your love of metal. No, yeah. I, I'm so open-minded in my love of stoner metal in an international sense. <laughs> For our roundtable discussion, we decided to tackle Sony's acquisition of cloud gaming service Gaikai, which was founded by Earthworm Jim and maybe MDK creator David Perry way back in 2008. It seems like it was more recent than that, but online was just starting to gain steam, and David Perry said, hey, I'm going to make a very similar service called Gaikai, <laughs> and four years later... It turns out that he was ready to sell it, put it out on the block quite brazenly. I'm not sure if he was already in discussions with Sony at that point. Maybe he wasn't getting the price offering that he wanted from them, and so he put it out there. Yeah, maybe. It's a good point. The deal was done, and Sony acquired Gaikai for $380 million. Million dollars. (laughs) Which got a lot of people into a tizzy because it's like, wow, Sony is a hardware maker not of just video game consoles, but also of disc players, music players, media players, televisions, all sorts of stuff out there. And so there could be really big implications for what Sony can do by owning an advanced content streaming service. Yeah, totally. Especially on the games front, Sony hasn't even revealed any details or pricing or timing for PlayStation 4. And a lot of people wanted to get really just right on the forward-looking debate there and say, this could totally change all of gaming. This means the end of traditional console gaming. It's right here. It's right around the corner with this acquisition. Yeah, that's kind of crazy right there. (laughs) You don't think that it's that that far out, Mark? No. I, I mean, I think it is far out where, you know, streaming gaming will totally dominate, and it won't be about at all about the hardware in your game system. I don't know. You know, maybe it's like a five-year thing or something where we get go almost all to, um, you know, streaming as far as gaming goes. Certainly the advantages of what they can learn from Gaikai for optimizing video would mean they could make a killer, you know, alternative to Netflix streaming. It's things like that. There's certainly ways they could pull that off or audio or whatever. Um, but I don't think it's going to be right around the corner. I think it's, you know, right around a few corners. What yeah, do you think? Yeah, and the analyst reaction has actually been pretty similar to what you thought, Mark. Yeah. Jesse Divnich and the illustrious Michael Pachter have both said that they really felt, they thought it was a good idea for Sony to do this, and you know, it's a good price, and it's a really smart strategic decision because it's really going to help streaming content beyond games to televisions and help Sony make some better headway or better impact in selling television hardware, which has been a bit of a lost leader for the company. Also how allow them to integrate their own, you know, network of content to compete with all the other big fish out there. It's it's kind of discouraging, Mark, because I would just love for there to be one solution, not to have to decide well, should I subscribe to Netflix or should I subscribe to Hulu or yeah, should I, I subscribe to Amazon? You know, it's just like there's all these options. It's just uh, all these big companies have every right to make their own networks. But, 
it's going to start to be a real pain in the ass when there's going to be exclusive exclusivity agreements where you can't get certain movies on certain providers. Right. You have to have this and this. And when it's all subscriptions, that's a lot of subscriptions that really start to add up. Well, yeah, it's like, you know, if I go with this one, I can't get anything by CBS, nor can I get, you know, Showtime movies or something like that, or Showtime original series. or You know, that's, that's really frustrating to the consumer because, like you say, I don't want to have to pay for, you know, Hulu, Netflix, and whatever Sony comes up with to be able to get, like, everything that I could want. And with Sony owning several movie studios, that could definitely be the case. Yeah. Unless it continues to to facilitate partnerships with other film distributors. I mean, for the consumer, the best bet would be where there is no exclusivity, you know, contract stuff going on between any of them. But nothing's ever done in the best interest of the consumer, so um, I would expect it to continue kind of the way it is. I don't see how any one entity... Especially with you know major players like this can be friends with all of them. I think it's gonna you know kind of be the way it's going, and I don't think piracy will ever stop either because right now it's getting pretty darn easy to find this stuff you know with like torrents and different means. Um, so why you know why play by their rules if they're if they're not gonna play nice, then the consumer's not gonna play nice either, especially since it's so easy. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't have to be on one of those networks to secure the content in many respects. I would, yeah, I would happily pay ten dollars a month to be able to stream all of it, or twenty dollars even, mm-hmm. and then I could, you know, I could get rid of like, you know, Comcast cable or whatever. I don't need to, you know, even if every every series would be available, like episode would be available a week after it actually aired, you know, as some kind of penalty. I could totally live with that. And I think most people could too. Yeah, and something I, I don't see really acknowledged in all of these big companies' manifest destiny race to be the, the big <laughs> streaming content provider is that, yeah, it seems like a risky business decision to offer as much content as possible for a low price. But where is the recognition that even if I or you have access to every television series from every network of all time, our personal time, our ability to watch those videos is finite. And sometimes I feel like there's this fear and then, you know, there's all these licensing fees that you have to deal with as well, but it's just like, Oh my gosh, I need to have a substantial payment for my content. But there's like this assumption that every single piece of content is being watched by every single person. And it's not. No, it's really not. And and it's usually, you know, on one device at a time. I mean, you know, it's like, you, you know, you're not going to have a household where a household of 20 people consuming <laughs> everything that Netflix has to offer. <laughs> it's really not going to work like that. So, yeah, you know. And, and because of that, people are never going to want to pay a lot of money. Yeah. Although cable prices would tell me to think otherwise, but. Yeah, but I mean, when you go to buy, like I've, you know, I've, as a consumer, I've looked at acquiring different things, uh, different ways. For instance, Battlestar Galactica, I have, I have the first three seasons, all of the DVDs, you know, purchased, um, and it's sometimes it's like it's really expensive and it's hard to find them, and 
you know, I, I would much rather have that available to stream like you can now with Netflix. Yeah. Although now the series is not on anymore. But, you know, at the time, I, I couldn't I couldn't catch up the right way legitimately. I could certainly do it through piracy, although with that you get, you know, crappy formats and, you know, problems in, in, with that respect, you know, missing yeah. missing issues. issues. Yeah, I'd much rather just pay my money and get, you know, something that's actually, you know, coming, you know, even supporting the people that put it together in the first place. But when they make it this hard... I don't think that, you know, everyone wants to play their game. Mm-hmm. I agree. Not to sound like some like kind getting... of dissident faction in the consumer no. market. I no, love I Ralph Nader. Which it's I do. Legitimate. Actually, yeah. Getting to the other big question is how, what type of implications does this have for Sony and gaming? And when I like to just do pie in the sky dreaming without respect to time or current technological limitations. It's just like thinking, wow, what if there were just a subscription Sony service that not only included movies and music, but any PS3 game, I could just stream it. I don't have to buy it. I can try out much meatier demos. The games will always be patched and up to date. I don't have to worry about, licenses i just access whatever it is that i want to access kind of like how music is on spotify oh yeah whenever i want to play that game well there it is and you know save a little save game file for me on my television but i don't have any hardware sitting under the machine i don't have to run extra wires through a receiver for audio it's just all bundled in one device and then i can literally take that because it's streaming on my tablet or on my smartphone if my smartphone is able to handle the gameplay requirements uh, right. You no longer have to worry about the technical prowess of the hardware. But what we do have to worry about and won't be resolved for many years is actually the bandwidth speed of streaming all this stuff down. Right. So it's fast enough to render and recognize the inputs and make it seamless. And some games people feel will never be able to truly be good in this format, this streaming right. format, because they just require direct connections, and that is stuff that requires Twitch reactions, such as fighting games, FPSs. I mean, it's why there's still a major market in hardcore gaming for wired mouses versus wireless mouses, because there's just so much concern about the latency and the delay in terms of response. Right, right. Yeah, I know. I, that was the first thing that shocked me was when I was, you know, I didn't even think about it, but when you look at mice and you see gaming mice, they're all wired. I mean, all of them. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can you can find them, I'm sure, that aren't, but the the ones that are successful, <laughs> they're all wired. And that's what I have is a wired. Me too. And I love it, and I would never want to lose it. Um, but, you know, when you, you mentioned Spotify, and they're like a very success, good success story for what they do, which is provide music. You know, they they do seem to understand the bandwidth because they they have a good a good um, model for like preloading stuff offline. Um, for well, I don't know. Do you do you pay for Spotify or are you? No, just, I don't. I'm a free user. I'm an actual paying user. Wow. Um, as of last two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and. Um, and it's because I've been I've been trying to start running again, and there's a part of my neighborhood that's a cellular dead zone where there's this there's like a cellular 
relay right there, and it's somebody besides AT&T, I guess, and it just destroys. It's like a dome of of no no anything for you. And every time I'm by there, it just cuts out like completely. Wow. And so um, with Spotify, though, for like a for you know iPhones and Androids and stuff, you can do like offline, and it'll load up everything on the device, and then you That's got cool. it. Yeah, and that way you don't have to mess around with iTunes if you have an iPhone and just sync everything up. It's just, you know, you change your playlist that day, you know, right before the run, and it's it's doing the, you know, background downloading and everything, and it's already ready. Um, and like you say, it's just, it gives you, it gives you this huge library. There's a few artists that aren't on Spotify. You can tell which ones they are, like Led Zeppelin, I think, is one of them. Um, I'm not sure if that's because of their label or whatever, but um, most are. I mean, there's so much good stuff out there. Um, so I, I know that was a bit of an aside, but as far as the technology goes, you know, it seems like broadband has been, um, you know, worldwide it's definitely making huge advances and certainly latency seems to be getting better and better every year but like you say if some games are just going to require such a twitch level like I, I would think you know professional fps's um or not professional but you know like the ones that are used for game competitions and stuff yeah i mean you don't do you really imagine that for the the 2013 such and such you know, game contest, it's going to be a bunch of guys with, like, a Gaikai rig playing. No, they're going to be all in the same place where latency is not a factor, and they're going to be playing on, hopefully, you know, very similar hardware, if not identical hardware, to keep keep it fair, much like they do with the FPS, or uh, um, oh, real-time strat RTS games, yeah. too. You know, they do the same thing. So I wonder if that means that, you know, you'll have a, you'll conceivably have, like, a rig from... Um, PlayStation or, or or Sony or whatever, like a PlayStation 4 or 5 or something like that, that has all this, you know, advanced hardware capacity that's only used sometimes, and other times it's streamed, like, from the cloud, like, with Gaikai or, um, oh, what's the other one that you told me on about live. earlier? On live, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of a thing. Mostly it's streamed where it makes sense, but then if you want it locally, you can go ahead and do that, because I imagine... Um, you know, the hard drives seem to be getting bigger and bigger anyway. Yeah. Well, and the games are only getting bigger. I mean, they can be 20 to 30 gigabytes. Yeah, with Blu-ray as a distribution. One thing that's interesting, though, is with all this talk by analysts of, you know, this is clearly the way it's going to go, and we have another little talking point, which is, you know, EA um, will be 100% digital, um, says one of the executives in the near future. Well, you know, that's great, but when they were, when both um, Sony and uh, Microsoft were working on their next-gen consoles. Both of them have, um, you know, a, a uh, optical drive for media. Mm-hmm. So they clearly had the opportunity to go 100% digital with their um, platforms, and they chose not to for reasons. Ind- I'm sure they were independent reasons because they're two different companies that are com- competitors, but it does tell you something that they're still not quite ready yet to cut that cord. You know, that that's still going to be a basic, you know, distribution model for them. And and I don't know why, personally, but it does seem to be the case. I think it, it, it has something to do still with the pervasiveness of broadband installation across the country and around the world and yeah. how effective it is. And then, 
the whole hard drive question. Because um, for these folks, digital in the short term means a Steam model where you're mm-hmm. not streaming the games. You're actually downloading all the game's code down, right. which I've my download queue for Steam because I went on some ridiculous buying sprees during some of their sales. <laughs> it's so backed up. It's going to take forever before I download all those games. And I'm not sure I really want to, yeah. frankly, but that you have to wait, that you can't have that instant gratification that you could if you went to a store and got a disc or if it were mailed to you, it just kind of stinks. Right. Um, whereas streaming kind of solves that because hypothetically you can start playing that game right away. But the amount of data that needs to be streamed down just for video, essentially showing what the game's playing on some hardware somewhere else. It's just so much. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought that it was funny that the Codemasters co-founder, in addition to EA going on the record just in the last week, coincidentally saying that the company is going to be a hundred percent digital in the future. They're already working towards that because you know, they have Pogo and all these other online games that yeah. they already make. Um, but Codemasters co-founder, who coincidentally is working on now in a company that just makes digital games, has said that the next generation consoles, that is next Xbox and PlayStation, not Wii U, will fail if they are not digital only, because that's where it's going. And retailers cannot, quote, uh, quote Sony and Microsoft cannot let the retailers dictate game prices going forwards if they want to break free from the current overpriced model. Well, I would agree that it's overpriced, but I don't know how that statement can be completely true. Yeah, I think it's kind of a... Certainly they... What was that? They, I think it's a bunch of bunk, frankly. Yeah. I think they would fail if they didn't have digital, yes. Because that's, it's you know, with Steam and with Xbox Live and or Xbox Arcade and whatever the PSN version is. Um, you know, we've come to expect that as a distribution model now, and I, I personally love it. But to say that it will fail? No, no way. I don't, I don't buy that. I think he's just he's just drinking too much of his own Kool-Aid, wishful thinking. Yeah. Well, he, he believes that they're going to fail because ultimately Apple and Google, who are, quote, not tied to brick-and-mortar retailers, they they aren't being held back with all, by all the restrictions of the whole manufacturing process and the price setting process and the economy and uh, he and he thinks that those models and and also including he lumps in Facebook's team and Apple's App Store that's where all the innovations occurring and those mm. games get to be immediately patched and the prices are a lot more consumer friendly yeah that's true but as long as people want AAA games which I think will always be the case, just like people want AAA or just as much as people want blockbuster movies in the summer. Yeah. People are always going to want AAA video games, and I still think we've got many years to go before we see super lengthy, super epic AAA games that are on the par of what we get currently at retail stores. I mean, the games that are downloadable are fantastic, and there there are many great stories and stuff like that, but... yeah. I think it's a while before we get to satisfying people that are hardcore and want huge games in a purely digital format. So you haven't um, you haven't canceled your your order for your next your Xbox 720 and your 
<laughs> or PlayStation 5 or whatever. Yeah, because I've, I've already pre-ordered all of them. <laughs> right, right. Based on this Codemasters co-founder's recommendations. He has seen the future. He knows mm-hmm. the future. Nostradamus, yeah. I mean, it's, def- it's definitely cool. I love digital distribution. I love streaming music. I mean, I have an extensive MP3 library, but... Once Spotify came out, I just kind of was like, wow, I, I feel like it's antiquated in a way. I haven't deleted it or anything, because there's still well, yeah. some stuff that's like Led Zeppelin um, that's not there. But, Is your uh, stoner metal on Spotify? Oh, my God, yeah. it's I, found, I find some of the best stuff there. I have some stuff that's not on it yet, but they make it really easy for bands to get their stuff on it. Um, and it's you know they're finding it's a great way to get their stuff out because if if you do the radio station thing like Pandora does on Spotify, I mean you know there's a good chance you'll you know be heard if you're you know fitting a genre that somebody likes and it's a wonderful way for people to discover you. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's great. I mean I've, I'm into some pretty weird niche stuff right now as far as my musical listening goes like i'm just kind of looking for something you know i guess and i'm a seeker if you will but uh <laughs> anyway um yeah it's it's wonderful the just the diversity of what's out there and how it, you know new stuff's always showing up on it um the only thing they do crappy is they they are really bad about the correct release date for the album and i don't know why that is but i don't know if you've ever looked at that but it's almost always wrong like horribly wrong that's like weird. you'll look at look up like the Beatles like uh, White Album and it'll say 2011. You're like, you know, that can't be right. So yeah, that sounds like when they added it to this. Yeah, exactly. It's like you know, I think you've got one of your fields wrong in your query. But um, other than that, it's really awesome. So and it is the future. So don't fight it. Just love it. But um, you know. I don't know. I think I think it's interesting what Sony's done, and I'm I'm curious to see how they leverage this purchase, and what it what it really gets for them. Yeah, and it'll also it'll also be interesting to see the competitive response over time. How will Microsoft address yeah. this? Will they continue to try to develop everything in house, or will they also purchase something <laughs> on live uh, purchase today? That'd be fun. yeah, which is much more expensive as it turns out. Yeah, yeah. But offers apparently. In a comparison article that I read over on Eurogamer, Gaikai actually has the advantage in several spots, which really surprised me because I was wow, I was always I was initially dismissive of Gaikai. I'm like, come on, dude, with your Me Too, yeah, effort here. Uh, but they actually, aside from frame rate, in some cases, offer superior gaming experiences. Huh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. In ideal conditions, of course, but. Yeah. Listeners, let us know what you think about this. Do you think that it's it's appropriate, like, that? well, this is just inevitable, so of course they did it, or do you actually think it's rather exciting and this could spawn some new ideas or concepts or so that might help put Sony in the lead? Let us know. Send in your thoughts to mail. M-A-I-L. At channelmassive.com. Mark, do you have any parting words for our dear listeners? Oh, I've just discovered this website called Fiverr. Have you ever seen this? No. Well, it's a website where you can go and you... And basically, people have these different talents that they offer. And for $5, they will do something for you, right? And it's hilarious, some of the stuff. 
There's one guy who's like this guy with no teeth, and he's like, I will stalk you. We're gonna end this thing for five dollars. But like, here's one I'm looking at now. I will play a guitar solo that will melt your mind for five dollars, and it'll be a, a unique um, guitar solo, and it takes him eight days to deliver it. And he's got a 99% rating, and it's just hilarious. It's called FIPRR.com. So that's my my final parting words. Check it out. There's some really funny stuff on there. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you, listeners, for listening to our show and subscribing to us. Let us know how we're doing over on iTunes. Leave us a review over there. We love you all, and we will, we will be back next week.